0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. If you have one of the Bibles from the card in the back, you'll find that on page 978. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Pastor Ted indicated this briefly in his prayer earlier this morning. It is one of the indicators that our culture has drifted far from uh, any moorings in biblical authority that when we read these words, they almost make us cringe because the culture has shouted long and loud and hard that what we're about to read this morning is way out of date. But understand that what I'm about to read this morning is the living and abiding and authoritative and inspired and inerrant and infallible Word of God, and He knows better than our culture. So hear His Word now from Ephesians 5:22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself. Its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of His Word.
1: Amen. Well, let's pray before we dive into God's Word this morning. Father, we uh, pray for many of your children who are gathered here this morning that have come with anxiety, with just burden on their heart, with a weight. And particularly, I want to think this morning of those who come this morning with a weight uh, over their marriage, just just discouraged, just really tired, feeling almost almost as if all hope is gone for a restored or healthy marriage. Broken, wives that are shattered, feel like they have no relationship with their husband at all. Husbands who are tired of their wives and feel like they're just nagging all the time and don't want to listen to it. Children that are out of sorts because of it, wondering why mom and dad are so messed up and why they're yelling at each other all the time. No love life, no physical intimacy, very little hand-holding, hugging, embracing, no, no walks at the park, enjoying one another's company, just business and work. And I know that that's a reality for all of our marriages and everyone has felt that at some level, but there are some who are on the edge and have just reached a place where they're just tired. They don't want to do this anymore. And so for the next two weeks, as we look at your word, we pray that that would be fixed. That would be changed. Something would happen. That you would give hope. So I pray that there would be no one here this morning who sits there saying, it's, it's without hope. Nothing will change. I've been doing this for 20 years. It'll never change. There won't be anybody that will say that because that's a lack of faith and we rebuke that in Jesus' name. And we pray that you will bring strength and reinvigoration and new life to our marriages through your word. Start this morning, we pray, as we work with the wives in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I didn't plan to pray that way. Honestly, it just it just kind of hit me as I was sitting here uh, preparing to uh, preach that we live in a very broken world, and I know many of you are in that position where you're just tired, and I know you're struggling, and uh, and so here we are. We're we're in Ephesians. If you're just joining us, we're walking through this entire book of Scripture, and we're really preaching on it, sort of verse by verse and paragraph by paragraph. We love that method of preaching at our church because it just we want God. And I say this over and over, we want God to set the agenda for the teaching of our church. We just want to follow his word. And so we're, we're coming to this rich section of scripture on marriage. And this morning, it's my responsibility to speak to the wives. And next week, it'll be Pastor Mark's responsibility to speak to the husbands. And that doesn't mean if you're a husband this morning, it's time for you to check out. doesn't mean if you're a kid, it's time for you to not listen. Because all of us have to be all in on this stuff. So I want to encourage husbands this morning to be praying for their wives, not to be thinking about how she fails and how bad she is and how she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing, but to be saying, God, help her with this, give her grace, that you be, as we're working through this text, you have a a disposition of grace toward her as Christ has toward her, that you love her in that way through this text, you be praying for her. I want to pray and my prayers for the wives that you, 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 your, your posture this morning is, God, I want to learn, I want to hear from you, I want, I want to receive from your word. I, I don't want to fight, I don't want to have a resistive spirit. I, I, want, to, I want to be po- a posture of total humility and brokenness before God. And, that, and that's my prayer for you. So as we, I don't, I don't want you to be thinking about your spouse this morning, just be thinking about yourself. And because uh, it'll be very easy, I'm going to be talking about both husbands and wives at aspects of this sermon. Very easy to say, "Oh, I hope he's hearing this," you know. "Oh, I hope she's hearing this." Please don't do that. Because if you're doing that, you're missing what God's trying to say to you. All right, so let let's just let's just let all that go. I understand your marriage is jacked up in a lot of ways. Understand your wife is not who she's supposed to be and, 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 and your wife's saying I, I, he's not who he's supposed to be. I understand all of that. So let's let it all go and let's pray for God's grace to minister to us this morning. Now, Andreas Kostenberger writes uh, the following. He says, for the first time in history, Western civilization Uh, is confronted with the need to define terms like marriage and family. The foundation for marriage is crumbling. People are confused about gender, marriage, and family. Some are outright hostile to historic Christian view on marriage. This is not simply a cultural war. It's a spiritual war. And the enemy would like nothing more than to continue to tear down the foundations of God's design for marriage. Well, we live clearly in a society that is wanting to do away with gender distinction at all, completely. The homosexual, transgender, and feminist agenda is consistently ridiculing the concept of gender-appropriate roles. I mean, take uh, marriage, for example. We could give all kinds of cultural examples. I was thinking about tons of them. You know, everything from Caitlyn Jenner to one Woman of the Year award who's formerly known as Bruce, to Target taking out the signage that says boys' clothes and girls' clothes, to gender-neutral bathrooms, to on and on and on. But take, for example, marriage. Our culture would say that men and women are essentially the same. They're just interchangeable parts. We, we are gender-confused as a society, and this has taken a toll on marriage. There's a recent children's book that was written really to advocate a transgender ideology for children. And uh, I'm not going to tell you the name of the book because I don't want to promote it. But the reality is, is that it's, 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 being in, it's being inculcated into every aspect of our culture. It is seeping into everything. And so today, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to come back to the Bible and say, okay, we're confused a, a, as a society, so what does this thing say? We're going to go back and say, what does the Bible have to say about marriage? And reorient our thinking around God's Word. And what we'll see when we get in this passage is that men and women... Are not the same. They are very different. They are equal under God in terms of importance and standing and dignity and significance and privilege and worth. But equality does not mean sameness. That's the error of our culture. Equality does not mean sameness. The the Trinity is the classic example of this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all equal in essence, but they are distinct in function. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit of God serves both the Father and the Son. And so equality does not mean sameness. And yet, Jesus is not less God than the Father is. They are equal, equally divine. But... Equality does not mean sameness, and this distinction is critical. So with that in mind, I want you to encourage you to turn to Ephesians 5 if you have not already. This is a text that must be handled with care, because it's a text that is clearly open to misunderstanding. Paul is clear that a wife is called by God to submit to her husband— But of course, that language of submission, I mean, just think about that word, carries with it all kinds of negative connotations. Oppression, subjugation, dominance. And we hear that and we're just like, no way, man, don't give me that. Don't want to hear that word. That didn't sound very Christian. did not sound very gracious to me. But clearly, that's not what the Bible means when it talks about Submission. And we do not want to be misunderstood. So as we walk through this text, we want to really work hard to see what does Paul mean when he says wives are to submit to their husband. So we have to handle it with care. The second reason we have to handle this text with care is because it has been abused and distorted by sinful men. And and what I mean by that is that God's word in the hands of a religious fool does great harm. And I've seen men use this text to defend all kinds of wickedness in the home. Arrogant men who order their wives around like a king. Deeply insecure and abusive men whose wives do not dare do anything or take one step without asking permission from their husbands. Men who create a culture of fear in the house whose wives don't feel the freedom to go to the grocery store or to pick out their own clothes for fear of their husband who is towering over them. Yeah, that's a fun house to live in. But it happens. And those men will use this text to justify that. And God says, wicked... But you see, sinful men out of their own lustful desires will take texts like this and they'll twist them to satisfy the cravings of their flesh. But this text will not allow you to go there. And God will not allow you to do that unless you want to incur his discipline. So while this text teaches very clearly that wives are to be submissive to their husbands, it also teaches that husbands are to love and serve their wives like Christ. So even though this text is hard We have to trust that God is wise and we know that if we obey his word in this portion of scripture, that our marriages will be blessed, right? Because God has, he sort of has the marriage formula down. He knows how it works. If you do this and if you invest in this way, this will be the byproduct. And God's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to start doing your marriage the way I've prescribed, even if that's totally culturally, politically incorrect, and he says, I can't believe you're doing that. I can't believe you talk about submission. You had submission in your wedding vow? You know, just mocked and criticized. And we say, well, yeah, of course we did, because we actually believe that what God says is really wise, that God's not stupid, that God has a really good plan for our lives. And if we follow that, then we will be blessed. So let me set this passage in context for a moment. Okay, just just look at Ephesians 5. If you survey survey this passage at a macro level, you'll see that there are three contrasts in verses 15 through 18. Verse 15, look there. It says, look carefully how you walk. Here's the first contrast, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 17, second contrast. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, do not get drunk, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. And that last contrast, be filled with the Spirit, opens up a whole new section of teaching, and, 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 and being filled with the Spirit has three expectations. Here's the three attached to it. Verse 19, when we are filled with the Spirit, we will do three things. One, address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Verse 20, give thanks always and for everything. And then verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So now submission is the topic. And under that heading, there's three realms or three areas of submission. The first is verse 22, wives to their husbands, the second is in verse 23, the church to Christ. And the third is, is chapter 6, verse 1, children to parents. So we're moving into this section on submission. This is how the flow of Ephesians goes. And today we pick up this first category of wives being submissive to their husbands. And in this passage, we see three things. Number one, the instruction Paul gives to wives, verse 22. Number two, the reason for the instruction, verse 23. And number three, the extent, of the instruction. I mean, how far does this teaching go? So let's begin in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, let's talk about that word submit. Uh, the word submit means to position yourself under, to place under. The Greek word is in the middle voice. And this is the most technical thing I'll say for the rest of the message. All right? So we're done. All right? But being in the middle voice is very important because it means that one is voluntarily submitting themselves. One is freely choosing. So it's not a passive. In other words, you're just sitting there like a lame duck and somebody forces or or pushes you towards something. It means you're choosing to do this. You're submitting yourself. You're placing yourself under No one is forcing this submission. It's a willing choice that a godly woman makes out of reverence for Jesus. It's a voluntary, free, yielding of yourself to your husband. But understand that even though submission is voluntary, it's not optional. See, we tend to think voluntary means optional, but it's not. It's voluntary, yes, but it's not optional because God commands you to do this and God expects you to obey his command. It just means that you are to graciously submit yourself to your husband and that he is not to sinfully coerce you into submission. Husbands, it is not your job to make your wife submit. You you will search Ephesians 5 in vain for that idea. There is no command here that says, Husbands, make your wives submit. That idea is not in the text. It's foreign to the text. Now, let me be really clear. Submission does not mean inferiority. A wife and a husband, as I said earlier, are equal in value and worth and dignity and privilege. And they are both, as 1 Peter 3 says, co-heirs of the grace of life. In fact, in verse 21, we are told to submit to one another. But here's the key. While we are all to submit to one another in the body of Christ, we are to do so in different ways. And submission has a chain of authority. If submission to Christ is, as the ultimate chain, the, the top of the chain of authority, if submission to Christ is not in place, then everything else will be a problem. And so there's an ordering to our relationship. So, for example, we are all called to submit to human government, are we not? Romans 13. Church members are called to submit to their elders, 1 Peter 5 and Hebrews 13. Children are to submit to their parents, Ephesians 6. All of us are to submit to Christ, Ephesians 5 and James Four says, be submissive to Christ. All wives are called to submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5, through 24. And when you look at, look at this word, um, s- submit in scripture, you come to the conclusion very quickly that woven throughout all of scripture really is this theology of submission. Divinely appointed authority established in the world, cr- created by God in order to govern the world with wisdom. And when that order is not followed in country, in politics, in church, in family, then chaos and anarchy ensues. So what is submission, biblically speaking? Well, Wayne Grudem is helpful here. Grudem says this, he says, Submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. It is not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. So a disposition and an inclination. Christ is her absolute authority, not the husband. She submits to her husband out of reverence to Christ. The supreme authority of Christ qualifies the authority of her husband. This is a very helpful word. That comes from... um, uh, Wayne Grudem and John Piper's book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I I encourage you to read that and study that if you want to research this topic further. So that's Paul's point. The wife yields to her husband. But as we will see next week, the husband places his wife's needs above his own. His desire is to put her first and that desire to put her first ends up becoming the drawing force that makes her want to yield herself to him. He loves her. He wants more than anything else to bless her and to nourish her and to fuel her and to encourage her and to protect her. And when he does this, she ends up developing, believe it or not, a desire to follow him. Because who doesn't want to follow a man that's so sacrificially loving you, right? Women are looking for a man that will just love them and care for them instead of being... Uh, a loser, who's or who's somebody who's going out and constantly looking for fun with somebody else. So when a man comes along who's actually going to sacrifice his life, lay down his life, and give it to you, don't you want to serve that man? Don't you want to help him? Don't you want? Of course you do, because you'd like to keep him around, and and that's what it does. It has a drawing power and force. Now look at the context of of, of this submission. Paul does not say that wives are to submit to every man. He says, "Wives submit to your own husbands." All men are not in authority over all women. We need to be really clear about that. We can get carried away with ideas like that. Marriage is the context of this command. And then notice the last phrase in verse twenty-two. This is the manner in which you are to obey this command. Underline that phrase, ladies. As to the Lord. Now, what does it mean? Well, Colossians 3 helps us here. Paul says, wives, submit to your husband in Colossians 3 as is fitting to the Lord. So the idea is not that you kind of sort of get up one day and look at your husband and say, honey, I obey you because you're like God to me. That's kind of a tough sell, don't you think? Clearly, that's not how she thinks. So he's not saying, submit to your wife as Submit to your husbands as the Lord, like he's the Lord. He's not the Lord. He's far from the Lord. He's a long way from being God-like in your life. So what does it mean? Ask to the Lord means that your submission is ultimately not a matter of obedience to your husband, but to the Lord. A wife's submission to her husband is actually submission and obedience to her Lord. Jesus is the issue, not your husband. In other words, obey this command not because your husband needs it so bad, although he does, but because Jesus wants you to do that and you're to do it for him. Not for him. Not even because he deserves it. He may not deserve it at all. But Jesus deserves it because Jesus hasn't done anything wrong and he asked you to do it. Do you see that? Do you feel the force of that? So, the wife submits to her husband not because he's a great guy. He, he may be a great guy or he may not be. That's not the issue. His character is irrelevant. She submits to her husband because in doing so, she is submitting to Jesus. So ladies, I just want to remind you this morning, that means that there's dignity to your submission. It's a loving and obedient response to Christ. And this is what Jesus did. Think about it. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the Father, even to the point of death. He came into this world. He laid aside his rights as the Son of God. He took on human form to rescue sinners And don't we exalt in that humility that God would become man and dwell among us. That God who is perfect, who who absolutely has all right to do whatever he wants, that he would come here and humble himself and take on human flesh and dwell among a sinful people. And that he would not exercise his divine right but that he would humble himself, come down and stoop down to our level and minister to us sacrificially and serve us and give his life for us that he would give himself and pour himself out. We exalt that. We say, that's praiseworthy. That's amazing stuff. What an act. And we praise that. And ladies, here's what I want to say. When you obey Ephesians 5, you're showing the same obedience, the same humility, and that is praiseworthy. It's praiseworthy. And you should be encouraged for that. And men, we should be fast and quick to praise our ladies for that. So it's something we celebrate. And any husband that is worth his weight in salt will see that. And he'll be compelled to gently and redemptively and lovingly lead his wife. Because he says, what a sacrifice she's making to follow me, to follow me. I don't deserve to be followed like that. And he's, he's compelled to celebrate his wife. So there's a profound dignity in the call of wives to submit to their husbands. When you do this, you're doing something that's deeply Christ-like. But there's also dignity in the submission because ultimately it's done for the Lord. You're not doing it for him. You're doing it for him, for God, first and foremost. Think about it. The highest purpose of your marriage is to point the world to Christ, Christ is ultimate here. It's not marriage. It's not your marriage. And our marriages are a reflection of Christ's love for his church. So, so let's get some more scripture here. Let's keep laying down some scripture. Verse 23 gives us the reason for this instruction. Because you might be saying, okay, so I hear the instruction. But I, I still want to know, why would God order things like this? Like, what's the deal there? Why would God say this is a wise way to live and to work out your marriage? So let's get into God's reasoning here. Well, I mean, the simple answer would be why should a wife submit to her husband would be because God said so. I mean, that would be the child, the answer you give to your child. You know, I I feel like I'm saying that to my sons. Dad, why do I, just because I said so. I don't want to get into a five minute discussion with why, with my four year old about why this is a wise thing for him to do. So that's a real quick answer, but obviously we, we, we just sort of grope for more. So, but what, what God still, why? Let's press it further. What's your reason? And the reason he gives is in verse 23, he says, for the husband is the head of the wife. So if you want a reason for why wives should submit to their husbands, it's because the husband is the head. So then the question is, well, what does it mean to be a head? Well, if you look at that word, the word kephale in Greek or head means a leader or an authority figure. The Greek lexicon says this, one who is the head, chief, principal, one to whom others are subordinate. So this is what the word means in Scripture. In fact, if you look at the word in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you look at it in the New Testament, you look at it in all Greek uh, literature of its time, it means the same thing in every context. This is what the church has believed and taught about this word, Head for 2,000 years it's understood this. And anyone, which means anyone who sort of works to try to do the exegetical gymnastics necessary to change the meaning of this word so that head doesn't really mean head and sort of soften it somehow is violating sacred scripture and caving, I would say, to political pressure, right? Because it doesn't sound politically correct to say a man is the head of a woman. It just doesn't sound good in our culture. And so, People are just groping for, can we just kind of soften that term somehow? Can we do something to fix that? And the answer is no, you can't. If you do, you're abusing Scripture. Scripture's very clear. But I, And I just want to remind you of this. Jesus doesn't really care what we think about that. I mean, Jesus is not in a popularity contest. And he doesn't care about majority opinion. The way of the cross is always the narrow road. It's not the easiest way, but hear me, it's always the best way. And so the word means exactly what it says. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, men, before you get all excited here and say, amen, preacher. All right, you keep preaching that. Amen to that. About that authority business. Then I would remind you that headship described here is Christ-like headship. Christ-like headship. Look at the verse. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as... There you go with a comparative adverb. Even as Christ is the head of the church. So Paul draws a comparison between the husband's leadership in the home and Christ's leadership of the church. And that ought to bless your heart, ladies. Because the way the husband is to lead the wife is the way that Christ leads his church. And how does Christ relate to his church? With compassion and love and Grace. Men, headship doesn't mean, woman, get my dinner. It doesn't mean that you have the right to bark commands at her. It means that you have the inherent responsibility for being the servant leader in your home to protect and to provide for your family. Brian Borgman defines headship this way. He says, headship is taking primary responsibility for the servant leadership protection and provision of your family both materially and spiritually that's a weighty responsibility and we are to lead our wives like Jesus leads his church and obviously does anybody have a problem with how Jesus leads his church I was thinking about this uh all of us have had frustrating experiences in local church this one included and you would say, you know, I don't, I'm not really fired up about this aspect of the church or that aspect. But who in here would stand up and say, you know what? I think the real cause is for the problem in this church is Jesus. I, th- I think he messed it all up. Is it, anybody going to say that? Of course not. Because Jesus has a perfect track record of always leading his church well, right? With patience and forbearance and perseverance. And men, here's what we should say. We should say, I have the ultimate responsibility as the head of my home, as the head of my wife for the welfare of this household. And the way that I want to execute that ultimate responsibility is by being the, the the servant of this household. Because if husbands would do that, then trust me, wives would find it very easy to be submissive. But the standard is high, and that's why this text is weighty. Men are overwhelmed here because the standard is perfection. I mean, I read texts like this, and I'm like, are you kidding me? So the, the standard is, hey, hey, uh, husbands, you just have a little task to do, and that's be like Jesus. So when you, when you lead your wife, you just have to sort of do what Jesus did. And I'm like, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he did it perfectly. So my standard is perfection. And you read that, and you're just like, Whoa. But then wives are overwhelmed because they're commanded to follow all these little puny versions of Jesus running around. It's like, I look at my husband, I'm like, he doesn't look like Jesus. And yet I'm called to submit to that. And I'm having a hard time doing that. So God give grace to you wives and God gives strength to us men. And, and we don't have to look any further than Genesis 3 to see why things are so messed up. I mean, the reason, the reason why marriage is so hard is because we're all eaten up with so much sin. Sin is hindering our ability to lead as husbands and follow as wives. When sin attacks a marriage, here's what it does. It goes right after the roles in marriage. And what, it, what, what sin wants to do, according to Genesis 3, is reverse the role. So the woman wants to become the man and the man wants to stop leading and become passive. That's the major sort of thing that sin does. When sin attacks a marriage, it typically manifested this way in men. Men become passive non-leaders of their home or they become abusing dictators. Those, Those are the two default positions. And women tend to either become manipulative and resistant. They refuse to submit or they become power hungry and they seek to rule over their husbands. And that's just how sin does. It just ruins the, the, the role that God has set for marriage. So let me get really real with you for a minute, really practical, okay? Because understand this, that let's talk about both men and women here in the interchange, because male passivity in marriage is just as wrong, hear me, as tyrannical, dictatorial, authoritarian leadership. And I want some, I want some of you men to hear me this morning on this point, There are men who will not take responsibility for themselves, for their families, for their wives, for their children. They have no biblical vision for their marriage and family, let alone any spiritual leadership. And this is a perversion of your headship. You say, why are you talking about the men? Because it's talking about headship. How can I not address you? It, it's, and this is a perversion of your headship. If you are not leading, you are not being the man God has called you to be. In fact, it's cruel in your home. Wives, don't be thinking about your husband. Don't be thinking right now, yeah, you preach it, man. Be thinking about yourself. But men, you hear me, hear me on this, which means we should be concerned not only about the tyranny uh, about tyrannical leaders or rulers in their home under the guise of headship. People will do that. They'll say, they'll say, oh, well, I'm justified to lead this way because I'm the head. We should be concerned about that, but we should also be concerned about passivity under the guise of love. Well, I'm not that tyrannical ruler, but you're not doing anything, man. You're just sitting there. That's not any better than the guy who's ruling over his, w- w- of his family with a rod of iron. But some men think being a couch potato is somehow more virtuous than being a dictator in the home. And it's not. It's not. Now, it might not affect your wife in the same way. It'll affect her in very different ways. But trust me, I have, I have counseled and, and ministered and seen many, many women totally defeated in life. Not because their husband is a jerk in the home, but because he doesn't do anything. Just as emotionally diswrought over a couch potato than a dictator. Now, I know some of you guys are probably saying, hey, 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 aren't we preaching about wives this morning? Let's get back to that topic. (laughs) And we're getting there, all right? But I just want to say, understand that a wife's duty to submit, we can't talk about that in isolation from your leadership. Because if you're failing to lead, what are they supposed to follow? Like, how are you, you're, you're not leading. What are they supposed to get behind? In fact, if you choose not to take leadership in the home, you're creating a moral dilemma for your wife. In fact, if she's godly, she wants to follow you, but she's struggling because you're lazy and she doesn't want to condone your sin and spiritual neglect of your kids. So she's like, I don't want to assume your leadership, but somebody needs to pray with the kids. Somebody needs to get the kids together and read the Bible to them. But I don't want to assume your leadership. I want to be submissive. This is a real, you put your wife in a moral ethical dilemma, now, let's go back to the ladies. Some of you have a different struggle. Like I said, there's a ten- Genesis 3 makes very clear. It says that her desire shall be for her husband. And by the way, that doesn't mean that she desires him romantically. When the fall happens and sin comes into the world, it says her desire shall be for her husband. That means her desire shall be to rule over him, to take his spot, to be the person who leads and after the fall, sin has created in some women an urge in some women to usurp the leadership of her husband, to push him, to direct him, to meddle, to nag, to manipulate, to control, to pressure him, to meet my needs. Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen says, "A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are like." When you do that, ladies, you are waterboarding your husband. And nothing is more damaging to a man's ability to fulfill God's calling than to live with a woman who consistently emasculates him, berates him, and tries to dominate him in the house. And, and, and when that happens, here's what happens. Men tend to respond in one of two ways. And I'm telling you right now, neither one of them are good. The first way is that men, a man becomes a tyrant. He just powers up over her. Right? It doesn't matter how high she takes it. He'll take it higher. You want to go there? He won't be intimidated by her. Instead, he'll threaten her. And he'll fight her. he'll do that in front of the kids. And that's a terrible home to live in. She raises it. He raises it higher. She she re-raises it. He re-raises it. And then she raises it. And he's all in. And then it's bang, bang, bang. Just a fight. And that's what happens. It's the first way men respond. The second way... It's just as common for some men, when his wife gets stronger and stronger, the husband gets more and more passive. He starts going like this. His knees start to buckle. He starts to go down. And in some women, there's this sick, twisted sort of, like, see, I've beat him. I've conquered him. And he goes down and he goes down. And some men would say, it's a sad testimony. I I hate to hear this, but some men would say, you know, I quit trying a long time ago to lead my family because she just rolls over me. Now, I know other men in here would say pridefully, well, why don't you step up and be a man in your home? Which doesn't sound like you really have grace figured out if you're talking that way. But would we confess that man probably needs to lead better? Absolutely. Would we confess that he's struggling with being too passive? Absolutely. But, but let's, let's confess that he's married to a controlling woman who wants to assume the leadership and take control. And if that's you, if you're that kind of lady, then repentance toward God and your husband are totally appropriate today. To so ask God to forgive you and your husband. And I would urge you not to wait for him to do his part. Like don't wait for his sermon next week. Don't, don't say, I'm not going to back off on, on all this stuff until my husband starts sort of loving me better. Like, you don't get to say that. You need to do what you need to do right now and change how you relate to him. And the first thing I would encourage you to do in terms of changing how you relate to him is I'd encourage you to love your husband by respecting him. Nothing is more important to a man than respect. And one of the great ways you can respect him is by letting him lead. You say, well, he's not interested in leading. Listen, there's a way to encourage your man to lead in a home, even if he's not interested. There is. And I'll tell you what it's not. It's not nagging him to death. That will not work. So just go ahead and abandon that project. Instead, seek to encourage him, because, hear this. ladies hear this: encouragement in the mouth of a wife is unbelievably powerful in the heart of a man. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable the power of encouragement a wife gives to her husband. Find areas where he does well. Are you saying he's a loser in every area of of his life? I don't think so. All right? So find an area he does well and breathe life into him. And if you do that and you begin to do that, you will create an environment where you will help him to lead better. That's far more effective than wearing him out with how bad he's failing. Saying things like, well, I guess you don't care about the spiritual life of our kids, so I'll just do it myself. Those kind of things will erode his desire to lead his family. You know, he'll, he'll just wash his hands of it. He, and it won't serve you, and it won't serve the family. Well, that's challenging stuff for both husbands and wives. And and, and, and we just have to get real with this stuff because this is the nitty gritty of where we live. And this is exactly why we need so much grace. This is why we need the Holy Spirit infusing power into our marriages. So, so wives, here's the thing on on your deal. We're we're dealing with you this morning and next week is the husbands, all right? So guys, uh, show up on time. But, but here's the thing. The last thing is, is for the ladies is, is the extent of the instruction. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit. What does that say? Submit in everything to their husbands. So we see the extent of the command. Paul says, in everything. He says, I'm going to up the ante a little bit here. I just want to make sure you're clear on the submission thing. And I'm going to say, be submissive, yes, but not just partially, but in everything. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, if my husband were more like Jesus, it'd be a little easier to submit. If my husband were fulfilling his role as head and not being a passive leader, then it would be easier to submit. And I would say, you're right about that, absolutely. Absolutely. If you were more like Christ is to the church, then it would be easier to submit. And you're absolutely right about all that. But, but dear sister, please understand, Paul did not give us this analogy because he thought your husband was Jesus. He gave the analogy because in, in, with a full light and understanding of knowing your husband is going to be full of sin. And yet he still gave you this word. So he wants you to submit in everything to a sinful husband not to Jesus. So you can't say, I've got to wait till he becomes Jesus before I'll submit to him. He's saying, I order things in such a way that even though he's full of sin, you're still called to submit to him in everything. So Jesus is calling you to a high standard, but but we want to be clear that that's hard for you. And I just want to say in a tender and loving way, I know that's hard for you. I have, trust me, I have sat in counseling meetings and sessions with with husbands and wives and just said, just see the pain on their face because they're trying so hard and they're broken. And they're just saying, I just can't get any movement. I just, we just can't get anywhere. And, and it's hard for you. And I just want to say, I re- I'd recognize that. I, I love the story of Winston Churchill, uh, who one time was speaking to Nancy Astor, who was the first female member of parliament. And one time during a dispute with Mr. Churchill, she became frustrated and she said uh, to Winston, she said, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I would put poison in your tea. At that moment, Mr. Churchill responded by saying, Madam, if you were my wife, I would drink it with pleasure. (laughs) Well, that's a light moment, but what it does is it illustrates the truth that marriage is hard. And you get to the point where you're just like, yeah, I would kind of sort of think about poisoning his tea. And I, the guy's like, and I would drink it. And and you get to a place in marriage where it's just hard and submission is hard. So uh, as we close, ladies, on a serious note, just, just lean in here for a minute as we close. We're talking about the extent of submission. And if Paul wasn't clear enough, he adds a layer and he says, wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And that just sounds dangerous. Everything... Like, come on, man. Like, everything? Surely that's not what Paul means. Well, we need to let Scripture inform Scripture. here. when Paul says in everything, we know that he can't mean everything without exception. Because we know—so here's some scriptural qualifiers. Number one, in everything except for sin— so in such a case, Acts 5.29 comes into play where you know the, the church, is, these guys are being persecuted, apostles are being persecuted, and it says we must obey God rather than men. So there is that moment in marriage where you just, it comes where you just say, I, I, I will follow you in absolutely everything unless you call me to sin. I will not sin. I will not sin. And, and that's a very important qualifier. Number two, there's only two qualifiers that I can see. If you find a third one, Come speak to me. I'd love to add it to the list. I can only think of two. The other one is this. In everything except where you would be injured physically and possibly emotionally. But physically for sure. For sure. No woman should ever have to live in fear. Ever. Ever. Of her husband. And submission to your husband does not mean tolerating violence in the home. And this is a very real thing in our day. Abuse to women is disgusting. And men who do that are cowards. And they are not men and God will punish them for that. So let me just say to you, if you live, if you live under a constant quaking and trembling and fear, oh no, he's coming to the door, what's going to happen next kind of fear, then you need to seek some help. No woman should have to live in that in a prolonged way. And you know, that's what your church is for. And that's why you have pastors and a community group and leaders who can help you. See, because when the authority structure in the home fails, the authority structure of the church and the government step in to protect those who are being mistreated. You say, well, what about emotional abuse? And I, and I would just say there, that's a tough issue. How, how, I don't know, how much is too much? I, and I would just speak in generalities here. I would say, that you need discernment, you need the counsel of friends, you need to turn to God, you need to pray, you need to rely on family and friends and seek biblical counsel about that type of emotional abuse. In extreme cases, I would say this, in extreme cases, sometimes the best thing you can do for your marriage is to, is to be away from your husband for a season. Sometimes that's needed. And because because here's the thing, if he destroys you, if he whittles you down, if he ruins you emotionally, then what good is your marriage anymore? What's what's the point of that? So a break is is prescribed in scripture that is possible, that has to be exercised with caution. And the key is to get good counsel. If you're here today and you're just broken and you need help because of that, just please come and speak to us. Now, beyond those two extremes, let me say this, be really clear. This verse means exactly what it says. Beyond those two extremes, wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. What Paul is saying is that the husband's headship and leadership extends to the totality of life. But it's always under the authority of the word of God. And this is how the church submits to Christ, isn't it? With wholehearted devotion. So the phrase here, in everything, is in reference to a total heart, full commitment to your, husbands and, to your husband and his leadership. So here's, here's, here's the conclusion. Let me give you five good reasons to walk out of here this morning uh, and to begin to live with a greater conviction about being submissive to your husband. Five, five, five clear reasons why you should be submissive to your husband. Number one, because it's biblical. Um, every text in the New Testament that addresses husbands and wives, it always talks about this issue, every single text. So it's not, this is not an anomaly. This is God's plan. This is his way. And you need to do it. Number two, because God has designed submission to be the way, hear this, in which you, through God, God through you, changes your husband. It's a huge reason. I preached a whole sermon on this in our First Peter series. And... And, and look that up, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 on our website. And I'll tell you this, the key is this, is that a transformed woman transforms her husband. That's the key. You will win him with your conduct. So, so being submissive is designed to change him. Number three, the third reason is that it affirms and edifies your husband and his responsibility under God. More than anything, as I said, men want to know that their wives respect him. You say, well, I don't respect him. Well, you better find something to respect about him. I mean, I'm serious. You've got to find something or you will tear down the very thing you're trying to build. Don't tell me there's nothing you can respect about him. So, so, so submission to him affirms and it edifies him and his responsibility under God. Number four, without being submissive, you will hinder God's work in your marriage. When you choose not to submit to your husband, you are trying to live life outside of God's plan and that will never go well, ever. And it won't work. And finally, submission is essential because with it, you will create an environment for your marriage, hear this, that will motivate your husband to love you like Christ loves the church. So it's, self, it's, 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 it's for yourself. It's self-advantageous. If you do this, you'll create an environment where your husband wants to love you like Christ loves the church. And together you will begin as a couple, maybe for the first time to display for the world, a picture of the gospel like you never have before. And I know you want that ladies. And, and we want that for you. So, so let's go for that together. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to say to you, because I want to be faithful, because this is a Christian church, um, the first thing you need is to just forget about all this marriage stuff and just get right with God yourself. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here, if you're saying, "Man, that was an interesting sermon." Never really heard anybody talk about stuff like that. The the, the most burden burdensome thing on my heart for you right now is that you not be thinking about how that was an interesting sermon, but that you be thinking about the fact that, man, like I, I'm just so I, I don't even have a relationship with God. And so you need to get that first. And you know how you get that? Just simply say, "God, forgive me for my sin." And 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 I know that I'm accountable to you, and I know that if I don't have that sin forgiven, I will I will be judged for that eternally and forever. And and so you just humble yourself. And we'd love to pray with you, and we'd love for you to to uh to turn and repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Husbands, wives, marriages. Guys, we're, we're going next week. Pastor Mark's gonna deal with, with you all faithfully through the text. So men, don't be walking out of here today be thinking about how your wife is just really messed up. Just pray for her. And wives, don't feel defeated because you have messed up. Remember that Jesus has forgiven you and he will empower you to be the woman that you are called to be even if your husband is, is, is tough to follow. You know, he'll still empower you. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the practicality of your word that we just come to two more verses, three more verses in scripture, and they're just so unbelievably relevant to our lives. So we pray that you would change us through your word, transform us and, and shape us into the image of your son for your glory. Thank you for the privilege, the freedom we have to sit around here and read and study your word. So encourage your church, Lord. Encourage your people build our marriages, strengthen them, we pray, through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.